Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. We're going to uh, start a, a new short series. Just getting this uh, password in. Uh, a new sh short series looking at relationships. And we're going to start with the ultimate relationship, and that is knowing God. And then next week, we're going to look at relationships with each other, and that will cover everything from dating to marriage to relationships in general, how we interact with each other. And then the third one will be knowing ourselves and uh, that relationship, in a sense, with our own hearts before God, uh, looking at our, our conscience and uh, understanding more of ourselves. So looking at the, the theology of relationships. So that's what we're aiming to do. And as the title for this morning is, uh, the, the ultimate relationship is knowing God. Now, you might believe that already, that the ultimate relationship is to know God, or you might still be thinking about it. You might have never thought about knowing God as the ultimate in relationships. But I hope that you'll see from God's Word, the Bible, that it is. It is the ultimate in relationships. You know, sometimes people get the idea from books, from media, from films, and so on, that the, the ultimate is to have that great marriage, that great partner for life, that great relationship with a, a person of the other sex. And that is not the ultimate in relationships. It can be really, really good, but it's not the ultimate. Some people think that having a, a good soulmate or a, a good friend is the ultimate. To have someone that you're really close to is the best. Well, it can be really great, if you've, especially if you've got soulmates. They can be quite rare, can't they? But it's not the ultimate. Some people think, well, I'm part of a, a good group of mates, good group of pals, fellas that meet up and have some banter together, chat together, can be really wonderful, can't it, when people, when men or women have a group of friends and, and they can laugh together and uh, go places together. But as well as that can be, it's not the ultimate relationship. It is a relationship with God. And in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus Christ himself says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Now, what's eternal life? Well, eternal life, as you can ho hopefully see on the screen, is life forever. It goes with the name, doesn't it? Eternal. It's pretty obvious, eternal life. But it's mo there's more to it than that. It also refers to a quality of life as well. A quality of life that is superlative. Can't find words to describe it. It's so good. A life that is abundant, a life that is salubrious, healthy, wholesome. We can add lots of other words, but eternal life is not just length of life. Because if we were to spend eternity simply uh, kind of uh, sitting on a cloud playing a harp, that would probably get uh, a, bit, uh, a bit boring, wouldn't it, after a while? But that's not what God has in mind with eternal life. It's life that is full, life that is abundant, life that is sup in the superlative, life that is salubrious, wholesome, good. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. So there are forces, there are obviously behind that the evil one, Satan himself, who wants to steal from us, wants to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, in contrast, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. God is a generous God. God created a, a wonderful world for us to enjoy, not to be uh, restricted 
uh, by arbitrary rules just to keep us con constricted. But no, he, he made us to enjoy life, to enjoy him, to enjoy the world that he had made. We were made to know and to be known by God. That's our, our reason for existence. This is the fundamental relationship. This is the reason why we are here, to know God and to be known by God. And without this life, without this relationship, we are eternally lost. But with it, we have eternal life. Eternal life. Now, why is this? You know, and when you think about it, people do find a great deal of joy in marriage. We do know of many divorces, sadly, and, and many situations in marriage where because of sin on one side or the other or both, there's a lot of pain in that relationship. But when it works well, it can be wonderful. And people find a great deal of joy. Or maybe in being part of a circle of friends. Or maybe belonging to a cause, a, a hobby group, something in common with others. There can be great joy by people who don't know God. By people who have no thought of God. And it's a good thing. God created a good world where we can enjoy friendships and relationships with other people in one-to-ones or, or in groups. But without God, we're missing on the fundamental relationship. And the very best that we can have in our lifetimes is a bit of banter with our mates. But then, what's after that? The very best, if it all works together, we can have a good marriage. If it all comes together in the best ways. But without God, we're missing out on the fundamental relationship. Now, why do we need to know God? Let's ask that question, or answer that rather. Because I'm not asking it so much, I'm answering it. <laughs> why we need to know God? God? Why is this fundamental relationship so important? Well, as I've touched on already, it's because of the way we were made. The way we were made. It's something that people might deny, but we can't get away from it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that we had read to us earlier on, this is the, the account of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Note that. In the image of God, he created them. Note that too. Male and female, he created them. In God's image, male and female, he created them. Now, in every age, people have been trying to deny that God created us or deny the way that God created us. And, and people down through the ages, down through the eons have, have said and challenged whether we really do need a relationship with the God of the Bible, with the true and living God. Now, Isaiah the prophet in his prophecy, chapter 29, verse 16, he points out how the, the attempts to deny that we need a relationship with God, to the attempts to kind of invent for ourselves who we are, to identify as whom we please. It is ridiculous. We can be sympathetic with people's feelings. But when we face the reality, we are creatures of God. And in Isaiah 29 verse 16, you have turned things around as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say about its maker, he didn't make me? Imagine a pot saying to the potter, you didn't make me. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But that's what we do with God. You didn't make me. How can what is formed say about the one who formed it, he doesn't understand what he's doing? And that's what we do in our society. I know better. I want my way. 
I want to do it how I want and that we ignore the creator, the maker. God created us in his image. And that doesn't mean he created us exactly the same as him because we're not gods. We're creatures created by God. But we were made to be a reflection of him. We were made to reflect him, to be in his image. So if there was an alien, I'm not saying there are, but if there was an alien from another planet, if he or she or it was to be able to come from another planet and observe humanity, he, he or it or she should be able to get something of an idea of what God is like from looking at us people. That's what it means when we were made in the image of God. Just as an art expert or a design expert recognizes the techniques of a particular designer or artist or the craft skills of a particular potter or a craft maker, so we were created with the creator's signature techniques, the creator's signature techniques, so that when, at our best, if people see us, they should see something of the wisdom, the beauty, the creativity of God. We've been made by God as an expression from his heart so that we ultimately will find our true home only in his heart. God made us as an expression of his heart in his image. So the reality is we will only find our true home in his heart, in a relationship with him. God made us like himself in his image to be creative managers and, and stewards of his creation. What a privilege, what a responsibility. God made us to be like himself, to be happy and holy, godly and gloriously joyful. Do you think God is a misery? Well, you haven't got the right idea of God. God is angry at sin, of course. Sin, sins that spoil his world created to be lived in an atmosphere of love and, and righteousness and, and, and peace. So surely God, a God of justice and righteousness, is not happy and is angry at sin, those things which spoil this world. But God is ultimately and fundamentally a God who is love and God who is joyful. God who created us to be joyful, to enjoy his world. So God made us like himself in that we were made to be happy and holy, godly and gloriously joyful. Why do we not experience that joy in this world why is it that we struggle? Why is there pain? Why are there wars that we have to remember? Those who have given their lives in, those who have been injured, maimed. It's because we said to God, you didn't make me. Or we said to God, I don't like the way you've created me. I don't want to be responsible to you. I don't want to be accountable to you. I want to do my own stuff. And we see a world spoiled by sin. God made us to know him. And to be known by him. That's why we need this fundamental relationship. Secondly, we see the Holy Trinity. And something very related, uh, very uh, re in relation to us and our relationship with God. So we said that God made us like himself. In that God is one and yet plural. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 19. Uh, we see the instructions of Jesus to his people, to the disciples. Those who would become disciples, they, they apply to us as well. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the one name of God, one name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have a God who is one, but we have a God who is three persons and yet still one God. We find that hard to understand in our human uh, maths and so on and experience 
But nevertheless, this is how God presents himself as one God and yet three persons. Now, notice going back to Genesis chapter 1, that God said, let us, plural, make mankind in our image. Well, who are the us? Well, we've already answered it in a way, haven't we? Uh, we see from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the us are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But let's go back a bit. Let's piece it together. In Genesis chapter 1, and verse uh, 1, it says that in the beginning, God created. Okay? God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we get mention of God, mention of the Spirit. And then in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, and we could look, look at lots of other scriptures, but just to briefly bring this uh, to our attention here. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, it talks about his son, the father's son, God the father's son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So we have reference to God, God the father, God the son, and the Holy Spirit in relation to creation. And so they were all involved. So the us of Genesis 1, uh, where it says, let us, uh, Genesis 1, 26, 27, where it says, let us make mankind in our image. The us is God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And the God who is one and yet three, he made this universe and he makes us people on it. Let us make man in our image. He makes humanity. And there are two parts to the human race, aren't there? Not top and the bottom, but uh, men and women. There are two parts to the human race, men and women, male and female. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God exists in a relationship of three persons. One God in a relationship of three persons. Not three persons in the sense that we are separate individuals in that sense, but in a total harmony of, of three, three persons. But he made us humans too to be in a relationship of two, didn't he? A relationship of two. Now I'm not talking about marriage here. Not talking about marriage at all, because the description of the first marriage comes later. But I'm talking about humanity in general. God made us in two parts, male and female. These are two necessary components of humanity, male and female. So the childhood kind of argument, girls are better than boys, boys are better than girls, that kind of argument in the playground, it's, we can understand children singing that, but actually it goes through into adult life, don't we? And uh, there's this kind of dichotomy and, and arguing. And sometimes it can be fun, yeah, a fun level. But actually, when it comes down to it, we need to re appreciate and, and respect the fact that God made us male and female, two necessary components to humanity. So in order to reflect God's nature, we need men and women in community. That's how God made humankind. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in other words, an all-male society doesn't reflect the image of God. And also, an all-female society doesn't reflect the image of God, effectively. And, and, and females and males each have their own special contribution to the community, to humanity. So a Bible-based view of relationships must value and support the unique contribution of maleness and femaleness. And also, it must value the symphony and the harmony of men and women, male and female. So I'm not talking about marriage here, remember. This is about the broad uh, picture of humanity. God made us with these two constituent parts, maleness and femaleness. And we need to celebrate the differences, don't we? And uh, 
recognize the differences, and of course, combine together our differences in partnership, in our communities, in our family lives, in our church life, and so on. But as in every generation, we need to avoid modeling our view of maleness or femaleness on the latest worldview, because that will change, won't it? That goes up and down, that changes. But we need to develop a Christian worldview of being a man or a woman. The key thing is not just to just go down the, to the stereotype, the, take the, the first stereotype off the shelf, but rather to be a spirit-filled and a spirit-shaped man or woman. And of course, that's a, another subject for another day, and we haven't got time to go into that. But so we do have what people call toxic... Um, what's the word? Masculinity, that's the word. Joel did it at school the other day. He was, he was battling with that the other day. Toxic masculinity. I think we probably all, all, all also have toxic femininity. You see, it's not really about being male or female is the issue. It's about a man or a woman being a sinner. Because if you're a man who's being a bully and coercive, it's nothing to do with being a man how God made you. It's being a sinful person who's using your strength to coerce and to be a bully. And same with femininity, you've got special skills, you ladies, and, uh, and uh, very crafty at times, I know you can be. But if you use that in a good way, if you use that in a godly way, that's fantastic. But again, you can have toxic femininity as well. So the issue is not male or female. That's not the problem, being male, being a man or a woman, and having male or female traits. The issue is being a sinner. And that's the problem. And that's the, the real thing. But anyway, that's a subject for another day. But the basic point is this. Society needs godly distinctives of male and female. And we also need the sensible cooperation of teamwork between male and female in the Christian family. And for us to have the ultimate relationship, we need the Trinity. We need the Trinity. You see, God is complete as Trinity, Father, Spirit, and Son. And we can't describe like for like our relationships and so on with, with, with God that unique divine trinity there but we also know that as individuals we need to know each other we need to be in a relationship with each other in a good healthy community relationship with each other now jesus said again in john 17 verse 3 this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent so the trinity if you like that completes humanity is men and women who know god that completes the Trinity, doesn't it? In human relationships. For us to be who we were meant to be. To be in that kind of happy and joyful experience of, 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 of understanding and enjoying our reason to exist. You know, a car is made to drive. A car that's just a rusty hen house is not fulfilling its purpose, is it? Or if you have a house that is just derelicts, and no one lives in, there's no lights on at night, and there's no heat, and there's no happy family in there. It's, it's just a, a derelict building that's rotting and decaying. What were we made for? We were made to be known by God and to know God. And as a humanity looking at us on the big scale, we were made to know each other, to be in a community with each other. But the, the thing that joins us together into this happy, wholesome, salubrious, enjoying the reason to be is men and women knowing God, men and women who know their God. This is a fundamental relationship that joins us together in happy community, but also brings the fulfillment of knowing the heart, knowing God. You, me, and Jesus, Cliff Richard used to sing years ago. Jesus, you, and me. Who remembers that one from the past? 
Or you're all too young. You're too young. You, me, and Jesus. Jesus, you, and me. Well, that song is about marriage, but as I said, we're not talking about marriage this morning. But it's true about our community, isn't it? It's true about our community as a church. It's true about our friendship groups as, as Christians. It's true about our home groups. It's true about our society as it should be. You, me, and Jesus. Jesus, you, and me. This is the way God created us. This is the way God made us. We live in a very individualistic society, don't we? Uh, we're very self-centered. And of course, you and I need to become Christians and to follow Jesus individually. And if you're not yet a Christian, I really encourage you to take that individual step to recognize your need of him and to become a Christian, to put your faith in him. You've got to do that yourself. It's an individual decision that you need to make. And we each have personal responsibility to know God through faith in Jesus. That's our personal responsibility. I can't make that choice for you. Your wife can't make that choice for you. Your husband can't make that choice for you. We can't make that choice for you. So we have a personal choice and a personal responsibility that God gives us and holds us to. But the experience of fullest joy in knowing God was designed by God to be a family trinity. You, me, and Jesus. Human beings, men and women, who know their God. And we can encourage each other to know God, can't we? That's why we're meeting. That's why we have home groups. That's why we have Sunday services. That's why we, we meet for prayer. That's why we meet maybe twos and threes to encourage each other with little Bible study groups and things like that, one-to-one. Because we want to encourage each other to know our God. And we help each other in that. We serve to help each other to know God better. So there's a kind of a family trinity. You, me, and Jesus. Men and women who know their God. And of course when heaven, and earth, when heaven on earth comes after the judgment, that will be the case. Because we will be totally in this, enjoying this, this wonderful, free, clear relationship with God. Nothing to spoil it. No sin to get in the way. We're, in a sense, preparing for this day to come as we exhibit our, this trinity with each other and with our God. We're looking forward to, we're anticipating heaven where we will see Jesus face to face and enjoy an unclouded relationship with him. So our church family life now is an aspiration to take God seriously as individuals, but also to enjoy God in a symphony, a symphony of three. You, me, and the Lord. We can have good friendships on earth, can't we? We can have good marriages. But unless God is the third person in our community, then the fundamental relationship is missing. We can ignore God and have some good friendships, good human relationships, without God guiding us. But we will, and experience shows, doesn't it, that if we leave God out of our lives, often there can be, we can be more vulnerable to toxic relationships, toxic friendships. You know, we say, don't we, don't get into the bad crowd, don't mix up with the wrong bunch. And our children here amongst us, some of them have gone out to Sunday school. As parents, do we want them to get mixed up in the wrong bunch? We don't, do we? We want them to have godly friends and godly influences and have the ability and strength to know their own thoughts and, and hearts as they go through school and, and studies and then into work. And God is the one, ultimately, he will guide these little ones as they grow up to be wise, to make good choices, to find good friendships, to avoid toxic uh, and uh, friendships that will, will damage them. Sometimes people do get through life, and they do avoid, it seems by accident, the, the, uh, the toxic relationships. But, you know, even if we got through to the end of our lives, and we had and enjoyed a good marriage or a good friendship group, God made us for far more than that. God made us for far more than that. And so often, 
we, we don't really know what's on, behind people's faces, do we? We see people having a laugh with their mates, but when they're on their own, when the door's closed, when they face the reality of what they're feeling, when, when drink or the laughter or the banter isn't there to cover what's going on in here, what they really think. think. I know some of you can testify to that, can't you? How there was a day when you didn't know God and you were maybe out with your mates and friends and it seemed to appearances that everything was okay. But inside, you knew there's a gap. You knew there's a fundamental lack. Well, God, it's that fundamental relationship that you needed, you found. And if, not, if you've not found it yet, then it's what you need. So God made us to experience far more than what we can ever experience without him. He made us to experience eternal life in quantity and quality. But of course, without God, we can have neither. Let's think then a little bit of the results of not knowing God, the results of not having this fundamental relationship with God. The stark reality is this, that without God, we may get through life with some good friendships beside us. But what is the good of that if we, as it were, pat ourselves on each other's back, pat ourselves on our back and have a good laugh, but walk hand in hand into hell? You see... This is the, the stark reality of the Christian gospel, that we need God because there is a heaven and a hell at the end of this lifetime. So we need to consider that very, very seriously. Living our life without God on, on a big scale leads to wars, doesn't it? On a smaller scale, it often leads to friction and hatred and prejudice and selfishness and greed. And we know that these things themselves are the seeds of war on the big scale anyway. Living our lives without God is serious. Living our lives without this fundamental relationship with God, even if we do scrape through life, there's a heaven and hell at the end. We need to make sure that we have this fundamental relationship right with God. It's only when God is the third and the major person in our relationships that we see each other as equally valuable. From whatever nation or tribe, we recognize because if we rec see that God is, is our creator and we live in our lives before him and we've got our relationship with him right, then we see each other in a, in a different light, don't we? We see each other as, we see other people as fellow creatures made in God's image. Whatever damage they have done or whatever damage has been done to them, we see people who were made for better things. We see people of different colors of skin, different backgrounds, different cultures from different countries in a different light when we have this relationship with God right. Because we're created of one blood, as the Bible puts it. It's the death knell for, for racism. And it's, it's, the, it's the cure to prejudice. It's the cure to these, to ultimately, to war. If we'd only grasp that we are fellow creatures made by God. The evils in our, in our world down through the years can all be traced back to not having this fundamental relationship with God. Not having a love for God who said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, we all know, don't we, that if we had kept to that, the history of this world would have been very, very different, wouldn't it? So much different. The Apostle Paul describes how humanity fell from a true relationship with God in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. How humanity fell from a true relationship with God that, where we had it all together, we had it all to enjoy there in the Garden of Eden. But since then things have gone down and downhill. 
Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. We see the signature of the creator, don't we? So that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, Adam and Eve, they knew God, and humanity since they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal being and birds and animals and reptiles. So we can see that rejecting the true knowledge of God, rejecting a relationship with God, going our own way, that is the, the primary cause of all the evils in this world. The sin in my heart, the sin in your heart, is that the fundamental problem, the fundamental illness, the fundamental spiritual cancer, if I can use that term, that has, has got into, the, into humanity, that separates us from God, and has brought the tragedy and the horrible things that we see in our world, the sadness that we see on our planet. But the good news is this. The Christian gospel is the cure and the restoration of the fundamental relationship. Christians are not Christians because they're better than anyone else. We're not here this morning because we've got a superior knowledge or faith or we were brought up better than other people. That's, we're not Christians because of those things. We're here because of what God has done through Jesus, in, and through Jesus in our hearts and lives. The Christian gospel is the cure and the restoration of the fundamental relationship, putting us back right with God and helping us to start to change, to become more as we were meant to be. Sometimes people think that becoming a Christian is going off weird. You lost your, off your rocker uh, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But actually becoming a Christian, although we do look weird to many people, is actually us learning to be more normal, uh, learning to be what we should have been, learning to, to get it together. And it's a painful process, isn't it? Because we've been battered by the sin-spoiled world and we have pressures and, uh, upon us. It's not easy, is it? And we've got the battles of our habits and our natures within that still want us to go the old way. But when we become a Christian, become a Christian we're forgiven for all our sins through what Jesus did on the cross that fundamental relationship is restored we we now know God and we're getting to know him better and better and we're being restored so the Christian gospel is a cure and the, the restoration of this fundamental relationship and again if you don't know that relationship with God yet Jesus said come to me Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that wasn't an exclusive statement. That was an invitation statement. Sometimes people think Jesus said he's the only way. Well, he is. That's, he's, he had to be truthful. But he's not saying, I'm the only way to exclude you. He's saying, I'm the only way because I want you. Come to me. Come to me. And there's a way to the Father. So then, let's focus and finish with how to know God. How to know God. In the area of Galatia and Turkey today, uh, there was a, a, a number of Christians in, scattered in that area, and the Apostle Paul wrote to them to encourage them, and he reminded them of what had happened to them when they became Christians. He said, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, and then he goes on to kind of challenge them, for some behavior which isn't consistent with the fact that they know God, because they had several problems in the church there. But he's appealing to the fact that once they didn't know God, now they know God, now there are better things expected 
now that you know God, or are rather known by God. So there's a way back to a true relationship with God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as I mentioned earlier, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way now back to the Father. He's the way now back into this fundamental relationship when we get our relationship right with God and then we start to get our relationship right with each other, men and women in community. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, uh, writing to another church at Ephesus, and you can visit the ancient, ancient, ancient site there uh, in Ephesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what he prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So do you see it? Through faith in Jesus, they now know God. These, these people in Ephesus, these new Christians, their lives have been changed and transformed. Read the whole letter and see what God is doing in them. It's wonderful. It's exciting what God is achieving in the lives of these people who once did not know God. But now they know him. And he, he, he thanks God for them. He thanks God for their prayers and their, their love, for the, your love for all of God's people. These are people now who are recognized by their love. What a wonderful thing to, to be recognized. And he prays that they may know him better and may know God better and better. So to summarize, how do we get to know God? How do we have this fundamental relationship with God restored? We need to repent of our sins. We need to believe in Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again to save us. So we need to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have contributed to the mess of this world, that our sins in our own hearts are there, that, that we are sinful people who battle with sin. We need to acknowledge that. We are victims, but we're also those who perpetrate sin, aren't we? And we need God for both. We need God for both. We need forgiveness for our sins. And we need his power and strength to change and to break free from the, the pressures uh, and temptations of this, of this world. So we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to repent. What repentance means is that we need to, it's a sorry, but a sorry with a, a desire to turn away. It's a sorry with a 180 involved. It's a sorry that I can see that's the wrong way to go and I need to go God's way. So we need to turn from all that we know is wrong in our lives and recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you, for me. And we put our faith in him. We repent of our sin and we believe in Jesus. And we commit our lives to him. We ask him, we trust in him to be the Lord of our lives and our savior. So now our lives are focused on him. Our faith is in him. Our direction of life is following him. So we need to repent and believe. And to get to know God better and better, as Paul prays for here, we need to explore that. We need to see the need to get to know him better and better. That we're just, just started. And we need to have that hunger and that desire to know him. So I'd really recommend to you, if you're a new Christian or will become a Christian this morning, I hope and pray that you will, that if you haven't got a Bible, you get one, and that you begin a life of thoughtful Bible reading. Thoughtful Bible reading. Reading our Bibles is the way that we hear God speaking to us. It's such a precious thing to read our Bibles every day. So become a person who reads God's Word, the Bible. If you need help, where to start, advice, Bible notes to use alongside, things like that. But the essential thing is make Bible reading your lifelong habit. Thoughtful reading of the Bible. And then, of course, prayerfulness. 
If you know God, you're going to talk to him. He's going to talk to you. You open your Bibles. Sometimes things will be harder to understand. Some things will be easier to understand. It's like some things are on the surface. You read a verse, whoa, and it strikes you. Sometimes you have to dig a lot, don't you? Dig a lot deeper. But this is God's word to you. This is God speaking to you. And again, you need advice. But you need to talk to God as well. So when you read the Bible and you feel challenged about something or don't understand something or feel convicted of sin in some way or see that you need to change, what do you do? Go out and do it on your own? No. You say, Lord, help me to put this into practice. Help me to do this. So be a thoughtful Bible reader. Be someone who's prayerful. You can start to talk to God from the minute you wake up. And uh, I was listening to um, uh, someone the other day and saying, I hope that you, uh, when you go to bed at night, always put your slippers right under the bed so that you have to get down on your knees to find your slippers every morning. And as, when you're on your knees getting your slippers, then remember to talk to God. Well, you can be on your knees. You don't have to be on your knees. You can be uh, on the bus to school or on the way to work or wherever it is, whatever time situation you can fit in. And, and basically, pray as much as you can through the day. Don't think of just simply one time in the day, but be a prayerful person, speaking to God. You find your pressure, a temptation is affecting you through the day. You're tempted to do something wrong at work. Lord, please help me. Or something's discouraging you. Someone said something to you that's really hurt you. You feel like you want to hit back and, and, and get really angry. Lord, help me, please. So talk to God. And then thank him for the good things. Thank you for the nice things. Lord, thank you that I, I got home safe from work tonight through that bad traffic. Thank you, Lord, for my health and strength. Thank you that I'm not as bad as I could be. Yes, I've got this bad leg or this bad back or whatever. But Lord, thank you for lots of things to be thankful for. For my family, for my friends, for my church. Be thankful. Thank you, most of all, for Jesus. So be prayerful. And then fellowship. Please make it your primary goal, uh, uh, along with these things, of course, to have fellowship with God's people. Because this is where we learn together. This is where we encourage each other. When we sing praises to God, we're also singing to each other, in a sense, aren't we? We're singing truths out loud so that we can encourage each other in these truths. Meet in home groups. Share with maybe one or two, maybe not everybody, but share with people you trust particular problems and issues, pressures that you're having. So we can care for each other. In, the, in the, maybe the slightly wider context of the home group, you can share things there too, but maybe not everything. But there's certain things you can ask for prayer for and, and see other Christians. And, and when we do our home groups, it's often how we think about how to put things into practice, don't we? The practical application of the word of God. How we do it and we share maybe experiences of how we have put things into practice or are struggling to do that. There's a reality there. We need fellowship, encouragement, supporting each other, praying for each other. And then, of course, basically, we need to live it out and tell it out. So what does God say? Let's pray about it. Let's encourage each other to do it in fellowship. Let's live it out in practice. And let's tell it out. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, telling them about Jesus, starting here and to the ends of the earth, living it out, telling it out. The Apostle Paul's prayer continues in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, how to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Faith in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour restores a fundamental relationship with God. Our lifetime here is meant to be getting to know him more and more inv invisibly, like falling in love with someone whom you're writing letters to. Think of the olden days when people used to write letters. And they, they, they got to know someone maybe through letter writing. And they fell in love with them, but they never seen them. 
uh, and they get to know them as much as possible. And then they anticipate the day when finally, after writing all these letters one to another, they know each other so well through the letters, and they arrive, and they see them face to face, and they're not disappointed. And they arrive and see them face to face, this person they've loved from a distance. That's, that's what it's going to be like when we see Jesus, when we see our Lord. We're getting to know him now. One day we'll see him. Our lives, uh, as we get to know him better and better, will be changed and transformed. The closer we get to him, we will become more like him. We will get interested in his interests. We will start to love what he loves. And we will build a picture in our own hearts and minds of his character and his beauty. And we will start to live differently through knowing him. Our, and of course, our eternal destiny is different through knowing him. We'll be in heaven because of his grace, because of his love, because of his salvation. We were made to know and to be known by God. This is a fundamental relationship. Without it, we are eternally lost. But with this, we have eternal life. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made, you've made a way through your son that we might know you that we might have this fundamental relationship restored thank you that through your holy spirit drawing us to christ living in us making us more like christ we will enjoy a relationship getting to know you better and better until that day when we see you face to face and we will not be disappointed lord help us as we continue to receive and write our love letters until that day, Lord, we pray for your blessing on us to pursue this. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.